Hello and welcome to the LARB Radio Hour, brought to you by reader-supported LA Review of Books. I'm your host, Eric Newman, the Gender and Sexuality Editor-at-Larb, and I'm here in the studio today with LARB Editor-at-Large, Kate Wolf. Hi, Kate. Hi, Eric. And so today we have a conversation with poet, translator, and editor Jeffrey Yang about his new collection, Hey Marfa. But before we get to that, we have some sad news to follow up on from last week. Uh, so I don't know if you were like myself, Kate, and we're up at 5.30 <laughs> in the morning nope. with a cat that's having a UTI. Oh, but more importantly, it allowed me to be there for the big reveal of the Oscar nominations. So cranberry juice all around. (laughs) The sad news is that, incredibly to me, actually, only Bing Liu was nominated amongst the people that we talked to, which is great. I'm thrilled for Bing Liu. That was a fantastic film. 100% deserved a nomination. I'm also a little surprised, given all the buzz uh, around Morgan Neville's Fred Rogers documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, at this time also got nothing. Wild. Because I'm insecure and self-centered, I can't help but feel like this is partly my fault. Because I was so sure you were last pushing week. pushing it too hard. Yeah. I knew, I thought I just, not that I am some Hollywood insider, but this was something I felt like I had some authority on. And, you know, I messed it up. Yeah. Well, you know, you win some, you lose some. And I guess so. Bing Lu did get nominated. Right. And so we are hoping and praying that he goes all the way. Kate's not, because if she does, then he won't get it. But we'll we'll hold off on that. However, there is also some good news, which is that Glenn Close, Olivia Coleman, and Melissa McCarthy were all nominated for Best oh, Actress, so which is... You have the magic. Lots yep. to be happy there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, as I predicted also, the Supporting Actress uh, nominations went to Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone, amongst other very talented actresses. But I think it's going to be a battle royale between the two of them. And like I also predicted, the Best Actor and Supporting Actor nominations were a total snooze fest. Mm. But congratulations to all the nominees. And um, we'll look forward to seeing who wins the prize later in February, February 22nd. So now let's get to this conversation with Jeffrey Yang. Uh, This feels maybe like a little bit of a rubber band effect (laughs) to go from Oscar nominations to the desolation of Marfa, Texas. But I really enjoyed reading this collection. I should say also, I'm not traditionally a poetry person. It's something that I've been getting into over the last like couple of years, but I'm much more of like a novel and prose person. And this, like his kind of fragment poem impressions of Marfa, Texas, a city which I've never been to. You have. I have. Um, yeah. I really took me there. Like I really enjoyed them. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed this collection very evocative of the place for me. So So it did feel like Marfa to you, like your experience of Marfa. I mean, yeah, yeah. And also just the desert and deep cuts of the West. I thought that it captured it really beautifully. So I enjoyed it. All right, let's get to that conversation. Great. We're excited to be speaking today with poet, translator, and editor Jeffrey Yang. Jeffrey joins us today to talk about his latest poetry collection, Hey Marfa. Centered on Yang's experience with the desolate Texas town named in the title, the project first grew out of his residency there as a Lannan Foundation Fellow. Yang's poems, which attempt to take in the historical, architectural, affective, and cultural sweep of Marfa, 
are interspersed with illustrations and paintings of the town by artist Rackstraw Downs. The result is a meditation on this particular place that is at once abstract yet concrete, specific yet universal. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey. Thanks for having me. So, Jeffrey, just to kind of get us started with the poetry, would you mind just reading one of the poems so that listeners can get a sense of the collection? Sure. So this is a poem called Substation, and it's a series of poems with the same title that are threaded throughout the book and also connect in ways to the paintings that Rextra Downs have made and are in this book. So, okay, substation. Gray day, far away, water tower, potentiometer, enclosed by a series of right-angle triangles, sky-line hypotenuse cables, lengthening to anchor pole, Johnny Ball insulators down to cadmium yellow reflectors, 10,000 faces reflected in the eyes, finely tuned, harmonized freight train peaks by the horizon on the other side. A small town thrives in the desert. Periwinkle, rose, flesh, tint homes, mute ochre, brown earth, fenced substrate, groomed weedlessness, dried brush outside the perimeter, off-center lines, and semaphore crisscross the sky as if ordinary heralds of the light as if Pisanian wings above an Aspahan arch whisper weightlessly through womb age of yet to come. Um, can you tell us first just a little bit about Marfa as both a kind of place in the cultural imagination, but also as a site that you visited a number of times over the years? Oh, yeah. So I first went out there in the spring of 2011 with the Landon Foundation, and I was there to translate a book by Le Chalbois, the Nobel Peace Prize winner, his book, June 4th Elegies. And so I, up until then, I had um, actually heard about Marfa just through another poem, actually, in college. That's by a different poet, and I didn't know much about the place besides just kind of generally what you hear about it as being there's many artists out there and Chinati Foundation and things like that. And so I wasn't sure what it was going to be like, but mainly I was there to translate this book. And so once I got there, though, I was kind of overwhelmed by the by the place and it's kind of just remoteness, but also yeah. the landscape, the people, the kind of just all together had a big effect on me. But really, it wasn't until I left that I really started to write more about that time there and about the town. And just to be clear, too, I mean, I only went there that one month, and it was really over the next, you know, seven years that I was writing this, and it became part of another kind of imagination, I guess. So you never returned Uh, to Marfa after that first visit? No, I haven't been back. I went back last October for another month, but that was really just to do an event for the book. So oh, no. wow. Yeah, so a lot of what I was writing about was kind of through what I had been reading and initially experienced. And so that's why I, initially I didn't even think I would be writing anything about the place, but it kind of just kept well, not leaving me alone in a sense, yeah. Place is such a interesting category to write from and it seems to be so open in this book that there's different voices there's different history that it it kind of pushes against this more simplistic vision of Marfa that we have as the place of the Prada store you know the facade and the Kanati Foundation and you know kind of this the one time I visited I remember I had been on a road trip and it was the first time I'd had a really good cup of coffee probably in 
many weeks, but it was so weird because it was one of the most remote places I had been. <laughs> so it's interesting in the, in the book that that's not really the focus of a lot of these poems, but they have such a wider vision of Marfa and its history. Mm-hmm. So maybe talk a little bit about writing from place and what it was like to approach this book that way. Yeah, so that's a big question. So I had written about, in my previous book, Vanishing Line, there's a long poem in that book called Yenicott. To me, it kind of is almost a precursor poem for this book. And I was writing a lot about part of Long Island on the North Fork. And so I was, after that, there's little things in that poem sequence about place that fed into this book. Yeah, I mean, I've always been interested in the idea of place, I mean, because we're, we're always part of a specific place, whether we want to be or not. And then through the writings of like, I don't know, so many poets like Charles Olson, I think of his field poetics, and they were all, many of those poets were connected to the writer Carl Sauer, who thought about landscape. And then later on, I was very interested in Jackson, who also wrote about place and landscape and things. And so these ideas about landscape and place, and then through the writings of a lot of the Chinese writers writing about landscape, I mean, it kind of all fed into the ideas I was trying to relate to Martha, in a way. I know that's a little bit general, but the when I first got there, there was a number of things that kind of struck me. And one was it reminded me a lot, just first coming into town, it reminded me a lot of a street where I grew up in Escondido, California, what many part of it? years before, like the Grand Street there, like you could see pictures of it and you could still see traces of what it was like before. And so it was just the kind of mix of the adobe and the kind of desert, you know, but I mean, so much of California is a desert, but not a desert like this, but just kind of, there were certain things, the mix of Mexican American culture and, and things like that. So there was that. And I, you know, I hadn't lived in a city for a long time. And it was also just the vastness of the space that kind of surrounds this small town, the nearest town, you know, there's a few little towns here and there, 30 miles, 60 miles away. But, you know, it's a good three-and-a-half-hour drive from El Paso, and there's no commercial airport, so you kind of have to go from there. And so there's a lot of these things that kind of fit into this place and why this place exists and what were people doing here and what kind of community was here. And so there was a lot of things that I was struck by, by some of the more mythical things you hear about Marfa, like the lights, things like that. In a similar way, Jeffrey, I wanted to ask you about what it's like being in that place, because there's an odd disjunction between the kind of intimacy of the poems, right, and the peopling of the poems, right? So this kind of palimpsestic relationship that you're describing that connects Marfa and Escondido, you have this dense social history inside of Marfa, including as you start out with uh, Donald Judd's experience in Marfa, and then all of these characters and folktales and all of that sort of thing that you include in the poems. And yet you're also in an incredibly sparse place, which I feel like is reflected somewhat in the kind of free verse fragment poetry. So can you talk a little bit about the relationship that you saw between, say, like landscape as form and the poetry as form? Right. So as I started to write this, again, I wasn't sure what I was writing. And it was only, you know, a couple of years and three years in as I started to accumulate more poems and things that I started to think of a bigger structure for the book because I didn't see that it was going to be finished anytime soon. So in the end, I mean, 
one of the ideas behind how the kind of poems unfold is, like you said, there are a lot of different poems and different ways things look on the page. And so I wanted to capture or try to capture through the actual reading of the book and how the poems are laid out, the way landscape is experienced out there in Marfa and around Marfa in the desert, kind of like, and I've said this before, this recursive idea of landscape and of a text in a book. And so things unfold on the page and scroll out, and there's these images too that Rex draw downs, painted and drawn of the desert out there. And so it was all trying to echo a little bit of the spirit of what is there as the emptiness and vastness, but then the more you look into that, you see a lot more detail, whether that is in nature or through the history of the people being there or the current people being there. So it's kind of deceptive. You think, oh, it's just this sky and dirt, you know, (laughs) and these rocks. But the closer you look, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of life. There's a lot of things happening. How did you limit what was put into the book? Because I think that's the interesting thing about working from place is that it's you know, one specific, but then so open-ended. I mean, if you're working from the history the history of Marfa to the present and anyone who's lived there or who's written about their experiences game, how do you even know where to stop? Yeah, I mean, that's another good question. For this book, well, one, I mean, I was trying to, you know, I guess, in a way, you could look at many cities and towns in the U.S., and the more you kind of learn about them and experience the place, it becomes a kind of microcosm of America and its history at large, or it's a greater history. Mm. And so Marfa, being a relatively young town, but also mixed up with the creation of the West, the opening of the West, the railroads. And so a lot of that history I wanted it to come through and specifically in that place and it's crippling out a little bit. And so I was just working with little clusters of poems and of themes. And in the end, I mean, I don't know, you just kind of have to stop. <laughs> I just felt like towards the end of the book and you get little bits of it throughout anyway, it really spins far out of a specific place of Marfa, but it relates to it in maybe a different way, like in a more I don't know, in in other different ways, whether it's through art or through spiritual connection in some way or, yeah, anyway, so the book kind of circles out. You know, there's a lot of these poems called Circle, and so things kind of circle out and back in. And and so in the end, it was just I had this structure that I was playing with and these poems, and I thought, I can't even remember what was the last poem. I can remember some of the last poems that I was writing. But it just kind of felt done, you know. Maybe I was just mm. exhausted <laughs> by it, and not like I was working on it continuously. But it was, you know, it was over from 2011 to 2017, even 2018. I was still revising some things, so it was a long time off and on. And things just take time to work in my mind, I guess, you know, because I'm doing other things as well. But it just took a lot of time to come into fruition and work. You are listening to the LARB Radio Hour, recorded at Emerson College in the heart of Hollywood. We've been speaking with Jeffrey Yang, author of Hey Marfa. We will return to that conversation in just a moment, but first, we have this week's book recommendation. We have John Ray here with us today. John is the author of Godsend, and that is his most recent novel. John is here to recommend a book. John, what book are you going to recommend? I am here to recommend really one of the best books I've read in years. 
It's called The Posthumous Memoirs of Brás Cubas. It's a classic of Brazilian fiction that I had never encountered before moving to Mexico City and spending some time with Mexican writers, many of whom just live and die by this novel. And it was written a very long time ago. It's from 1881. It's by the novelist that many consider to be perhaps Brazil's greatest writer, Joaquim Maria Machado de Assis, who was quite a character in his own right. He lived in Rio de Janeiro when Rio de Janeiro was, was really just a village. He was a slave owner in the early part of his life, but he was also half black. Very, very interesting character whose life contained a lot of contradictions. Can you um, tell us a little bit about what the, the book is about? Oh yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's essentially a postmodern sort of self-reflexive novel written far before even the modern era occurred. It's from 1881, as I've said. And the only novel I can even think of that, that it reminds me of is Tristram Shandy. Oh, wow. But it's a very, well, it's a lot shorter than Tristram Shandy. And it has far more of a, of a narrative that one can follow. It's playful in a different way than Tristram Shandy. But it's just remarkable on every front. It's remarkable in its treatment of race in Brazil. It's remarkable, probably even more so, in its very frank and and very modern-seeming attitude toward gender and toward sex and toward the limitations of marriage and toward adultery and toward honesty and dishonesty. It's just, you feel as though you're reading a novel set in 19th century Brazil by some extremely sophisticated modern author who's playing all sorts of games with you and winking at you all the time. And the author mm-hmm. is winking at you all the time, but he's winking at you from the mid-19th century. It sounds amazing. It really is incredibly fun. I can't recommend it too highly. It's just a really fun read. It's narrated by a dead man, by a ghost looking back on his life. Oh, that sounds good. Oh, yeah. Okay, sold. Tell us again <laughs> <laughs> the title of the book and the author. The Posthumous Memoirs of Bras Cubas, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, by Machado de Assis. Thank you so much. My pleasure. That was John Ray, author of Godsend, a novel. You are listening to the LARB Radio Hour. We now return to our conversation with Jeffrey Yang, author of Hey Marfa. One of the questions that I've become kind of fascinated by in terms of speaking with like writers and filmmakers and artists this year is thinking about what your writing practice is. And especially in your case, because you you work on at least in at least three major buckets, right? So as poet, translator, and editor. So I am interested uh-huh. in how those titles kind of, uh, and, and those functions bleed into one another um, when you're working on your yeah. own poetry. And then also kind of uh-huh. what your day-to-day, if it even is a day-to-day kind of practice or approach is. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, so I've been um, editing books for, you know, probably around almost 18 years now and um, translating for about as long as well. Writing maybe a little bit longer than that. <laughs> so I've been doing the three things <laughs> kind of continuously for a while. Yeah, they're all different, but I feel like they all feed into uh, one another uh, in, in ways. And in this book, I think it all kind of 
fit together, uh, or I was trying to bring those three practices in, in, in a way, mm-hmm. you know, you know, and then of course there's the practice of reading as well. And there's these poems called reading. And, and so, and that's very much mixed in with all three as well. Uh, uh, so, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I work on books, I edit books, I, I acquire books to publish. And so I get to work on a lot of different, um, writers work, which is an amazing to do, uh, um, liter, you know, poetry and, and fiction, and there's even some nonfiction and some children's books I've, I've worked on. And so um, I think, you know, they all acquire different skills, I guess, but they all also acquire careful attention to what you're doing. With translation, I mean, there's there's a lot of thematic things about translation in this book. It's such a kind of amazing, deep metaphor, you know, this idea of translation that it relates to everything from the writing to just or experiences of things that they could all be kind of described as a kind of translation in a way, and they have been by, by many people. Uh, and, and so um, I translate from uh, the Chinese at time, and so uh, I started out with the classical Chinese uh, more to learn more about, about the poems. And and so that kind of, I mean, that's a great way to learn how to write as well. Um, people have always told or said, I mean, from Ezra Pound, you know, he was the one who was editing and always wanted to translation as, as a way to, to learn how to write and also how to read, you know, and being able to read, uh, you know, you don't have to know a language in full to be able to, to figure out little snippets of things and to hear the sounds and the music. And so I love that kind of, mm. that kind of openness and curiosity with, with, with reading and with, with words. And so, yeah, they all kind of, I think they all kind of do the book in different ways. And on a given day, are you doing all three at the same time, or do you have days that are just writing days and then just editing days and translating days? Yeah, it kind of uh, depends. Uh, I, there are days when I'm doing, lately I haven't been translating too much. I, 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 uh, I had translated uh, a book years ago that came out, Autobiography, uh, the poet Beidou, and that was that was a lot of work. And, and then I did some other little things here and there. So often when I'm translating, I'm not writing too much, or if I am, it's, it's kind of just filling in ideas or, or things like that. But, but for my work, I mean, I'm usually editing something at some point, and it kind of comes and goes. I mean, the, the work level kind of uh, depends on, on where I'm at with the manuscript or, you know, <laughs> deadlines and things like that. But, <laughs> but no, I mean, uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> but no, no, so I, I, I'm, I'm working on some things now, editing-wise, yeah, so... Maybe you could talk about some of the texts that come into Hey Marfa, because if it was a if it was a novel, there were there were times where I might think like this is not real, this is made up. I don't know if I should trust that this is really a text that oh, existed uh-huh. before. Yeah, <laughs> Just, yeah, yeah. Uh, so tell us about things that you worked with, and did you make up any of these texts, or are they all like the Book of Last Words? Well, that I figured. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe you could talk up. about that as well. Oh yeah, so that's funny because I. You know, those are all real last words. No. Um, Whoa, are all... you serious? Tell it, just for, oh, oh, for listeners yeah, yeah. who yeah. aren't familiar with the with that um, and who haven't read your book, tell us about, about that. Yeah. No, so throughout, uh, threaded throughout the book, there's these little poems, if you want to call them poems, um, called in the Book of Last Words. And I've always been struck by, like, last words, like people on their deathbed and last yeah. words. And, and so it was more common... Uh, I mean, we still, I think even when Bush Sr. passed away, it was in the news, like what his last words were. But, uh, I mean, back in like, uh, 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 you know, 19th 
century, 18th century. There, I don't even, I can't even trace this exactly, but uh, the, it was more common to to um, record these uh, last words of loved ones and of um, so-called famous people. And and there has been actually a, a few collections of these uh, anthologies. And so some of those I took from anthologies that I thought fit. Others I, I found on my own through just uh, accidental reading or through digging through things. And so a lot of the last words that come through, uh, I hope, relate to to the content of the book and to kind of, again, like these little clusters of poems in different ways. And also, you know, one of uh, some of the last words are from people who are on death row in Texas and Texas, you know, being that kind of a state uh, uh, and being there and as, as well with, uh, you know, with other things about Texas. But they're all these these words are all available online through mm. through the website of the gov- government. I think it's a government uh, prison-related website. I'm, actually, I'm sure that's what it is. And so I found that I was just really kind of horrified, but at the same time, like, what? It, you know, I was, they're there. And so I took some of those last words, too, as they related to, to the book. And hopefully I was able to do that with some care and respect, but they're kind of part of the story of this book and of, of the place too. And so um and so those come through. There's there's a lot of kind of poets and authors that I, I admire in, in it as well. Only one or two well, maybe one thinking about uh, or two are, are are perhaps not very last words, but a play on what was the mm. last words. You know, you know, and so but overall they're they're like ninety nine percent all as recorded as we, we think, you know, and, and sometimes I had to look up something and I had, I had many more, uh, there. I took out a lot of them and some of them, uh, I, you know, I, I wanted to, to, to kind of research and double check all of them. And, and some of them were a bit more ambiguous or, or, or weren't as like sure. And, you know, I'm sure some of them still are in this book, but, but I, I tried to do as much kind of like research on that as I could to to make sure. <laughs> can we yeah. can we talk about the straw character from the sure. poems? Kind of, I think yeah. he appears in the middle of the collection. And my thought originally was, I was like, oh, I wonder if this is Rackstraw Downs because the straw is, right. could be excerpted yeah. from the middle of his first name. Um, but he's yeah. a really fascinating. So there's gunslinger straw, then there's apparently regular non-gunslinger regular straw, and I find him a kind of fascinating almost queer figure in some ways, like his reference to Calamus yeah, and Whitman, uh-huh. for example, um, are interesting to me just as like a, a student of queer literature. But he's also somebody that I really couldn't wrap my head around, like a kind of borderland uh-huh. phantom or... So can you just tell us a little bit about who that character is and kind of what you're doing with that figure in, in the book, in the collection? Sorry. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, yeah, sure. Um Borderline Phantom, I like that. <laughs> I think I'm going to use that. <laughs> He's exactly that. It's important. <laughs> no, but um, so there's a series of poems uh, just called Straw, S-T-R-A. And um, so I kind of hit upon that uh, character. I mean, the, the idea of a gunslinger, I mean, comes out of, um, of course, the mythology of the Wild West. Sure. But also specifically through um, the, the character in Lawrence. Um, the gunslinger poems. Um, there's that. There's also, I mean, for me, Straw became a kind of open to interpretation kind of figure. Uh, mm. There was a slight oblique reference to Rackstraw, but I think the more you read of them, that you could quickly see that it's not exactly that, and it's, and it's or not at all in ways. 
Uh, but it's also kind of an amalgam of, of a couple maybe people that I had met out there, you know, okay. and then and supplying with this idea of cliche of what a gunslinger is and what I was thinking of straw too. I mean, not to spoil alert, you know, <laughs> but straw, straw like a straw man, you know, a straw. Uh, this kind of what who is this person kind of thing. So kind of like what you were getting at as well. Um, and then straw. I mean, there, there's a lot of linguistic play with with this with those poems too. Uh, the kind of the, and the strata of digging through a lot of this place and this work and you know and, and so um, so it kind of like it kind of worked on different levels to me and it was a way to kind of talk about certain things as well uh, and, and, and and get a little distance and it, it seemed to I hope work the rest of the book. Draw um, has some harsh opinions on Marfa as a place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes and no, right? I mean, <laughs> well, I just, I, yeah, maybe we could talk just a little bit about, you know, what, I mean, I, I said you, you were only there for a month, but uh-huh. when yeah. you were there, just the kind of contradictions of, of Marfa, um, as you mentioned, yeah. or as uh-huh. Straw mentioned, you know, it's this place with incredible art and nice bookstores and a great radio station, but also no public playgrounds, like very poor uh, local population. It, right. So does that, did that resonate for you throughout this writing? I mean, that it's, it's just a place of immense, I mean, it seems like the whole history of the West is so conflicted, you know, and pr- for contemporary Marfa, did you think about that as you were writing? Yeah, I mean, it is, it's, there's, there is a lot of, I mean, I, and I think it's interesting because uh, this place that kind of was established, the place we know it through an artist, Donald Judd, and then the Chinati Foundation being there, and that kind of brought in the idea of what this place is, but it's also become, you know, it's right near Ohinaga, and so there's a lot of people who come up from there and work in town, you know, and it's become, because of the art scene there, it's, it's a place where you can meet people from everywhere, really. And so there are a lot of uh, contradictions, I think. I think it's also, again, when I was thinking about this in the context of, like, history of America and what America was founded on and what kind of, what we, the hopes and, and the and dreams of what, America was supposed to be or, or still is supposed to be was in a way one expression of that in Marfa. So it is filled with these contradictions, but then related to the whole kind of uh, America as a whole, you know, the United States as a whole. And so I, I'm, I'm kind of, I think, overstating this a little bit, but just, mm-hmm. but just that's kind of what I was thinking about too in this place, because it is, I mean, people, not just me, but people describe it as an island, because um, that means for it to be like an island in the desert, and, and then very almost utopian idea of what a town, a city could be uh, through art. Well, though and, probably a utopia only for certain people, right? And that's part oh, right, of the contradiction. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and no, and I'm not saying it is, but I'm just saying that, that what people, many people go out there for is to do what they want to do you know I've, I've met so many people who are who are who go out there and are able to do kind of whatever whatever creatively connect creatively to what they want to do and and you know so there is this this mix and, you know and then also you know there's the other there's the other aspect of the ranchers and 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 all strata of people living there and so i don't know i just find it it's such a fascinating mix of people i, I think 
no matter, uh, I mean, it, it was also, I met so many people who are willing to talk about the place and, and, and being there. And, you know, so it's a very overall friendly kind of uh, place to me. So I, I think there's just that kind of fascination of that place is it, it definitely, there's something going on. Like I even say it with like, <laughs> with the way the air and the, uh, or, or in the water or something, because, because there, there's something inexplicable about it, like almost ineffable about um, being there. And, you know, it's not, it's, it's not just, I just didn't, I'm not the only one who felt that. Uh, I, I'm sure as you're there longer, I mean, I'm, people need to leave, you know, too, because again, it's this idea of a, 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 an island and, and things, but people live there always come back. And so, I don't know, there's just a lot that relates to other things of how we're living, you know, in general, you know? Uh, and so that's why there's all these other poems about other things in it, not just um, Dave Marshall, per se. And you also do a really good job in the book of, laying out kind of the brutal history of the West and you know, right. the Chinese immigrants who came here and worked on the railroads mm-hmm. and interplay between the Americans and Native Americans and Spanish. And so you really evince just the, a, a much larger picture than um, a cool place to get coffee. Although they have good coffee, that's that's true. They really do. um, Jeffrey, thank you, thank you so much for talking with us today. It's been a real pleasure. No, thank you. Thanks. All right, thanks so much. We've been speaking with Jeffrey Yang, author of Hey Marfa. You've been listening to the LARB Radio Hour. Subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like the show, leave us a comment and tell us what you think. The LARB Radio Hour's executive producers are Eric Newman, Medea Ocher, and Kate Wolf. Our engineer is William Broughton. Production assistance is provided by William Broughton, Eleanor Duke, Lauren Kinney, and Jake Levins. Our theme song is by composer Imogen Teasley. Special thanks to Alan Minsky, who is no one's moral conscience, for production assistance, and to Emerson College for the use of their studio in Hollywood. Tom Lutz is the publisher and editor-in-chief of the Los Angeles Review of Books.